It's Wednesday, October the 27th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, a much hotter Earth by 2100 and happy results for Google and Microsoft. First, the world in brief. Ahead of COP26, a UN climate summit that starts on Sunday, the UN Environment Programme said that under current national climate pledges, the world was on track for global temperatures of 2.7 degrees this century. That is well above the Paris Climate Agreement goal of within 2 degrees Celsius of pre-industrial levels. Net zero emissions pledges could limit warming, but current commitments do not set big emitters on a clear path to achieve this. Both Alphabet, parent company to Google and YouTube, and Microsoft reported better-than-expected results for the third quarter. A boom in digital advertising helped increase revenues at Alphabet by 41% year-over-year to $65 billion. Meanwhile, the shift to remote work boosted Microsoft, whose revenues rose by 22% year-over-year to $45 billion, driven by its cloud computing segment. America's Federal Communications Commission revoked the license of China Telecom's local subsidiary. It must quit its operations there within 60 days. China Telecom joins a list of Chinese tech firms to be singled out as threats to national security on account of their relationships with the Chinese government. The FCC already nobbled China Mobile, Huawei and ZTE under the Trump administration. An advisory panel to America's Food and Drug Administration voted to recommend the use of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for children aged 5 to 11. The FDA typically follows the advice of such panels. Analysis from both the drug maker and the regulator have shown that inoculating eligible children would prevent tens of thousands of COVID-19 cases over the next six months. Abdullah Hamdok, Sudan's Prime Minister, was allowed to return to his home two days after he was seized by generals mounting a coup. The army is under international pressure to release Mr Hamdok and other leaders of Sudan's civilian government. Abdel Fattah Burhan, the general behind the putsch, said they may have to stand trial for inciting rebellion within the armed forces. At least 10 people have been killed in Khartoum, the capital, during protests against the coup. Police in nine countries arrested 150 people on suspicion of buying or selling contraband online in perhaps the largest sting to target the dark web. Europol coordinated the operation, naming it, quote, Huntor, and seized $31 million in cash and digital currencies, 234 kilograms of drugs and 45 firearms. Of the arrests, 65 were in America, 47 in Germany and 24 in Britain. A cyber attack in Iran crippled petrol stations, leaving queues of angry drivers unable to refuel their cars. The attack disrupted the use of government-issued cards that many Iranians need to buy subsidised fuel. It recalled both a fuel shortage in 2019, which provoked widespread protest, and the American and Israeli Stuxnet campaign uncovered in 2010. No one has claimed responsibility. And fact of the day, 
75%. The share of calorie intake for most humans that comes from just eight foods. Rice, wheat, maize, potatoes, barley, palm oil, soya and sugar. Human diets are becoming less diverse, a new book warns. And now, here's today's agenda. Knuckling down. Germany's coalition talks. After weeks of exploratory talks, formal negotiations to build a, quote, traffic-like coalition begin on Wednesday in Berlin. They comprise three parties. The Social Democrats, SPD, Germany's biggest party after last month's elections, the Greens and the Free Democrats, a pro-business group. Each will send a handful of negotiators to 22 working groups devoted to particular topics. The trickier ones include climate protection and fiscal policy. The groups must produce specific policy proposals. On November 10th, they will hand their reports to party bosses, who will have roughly three weeks to hash out any remaining differences. The result will be a coalition agreement of around 100 pages, which will serve as the blueprint for the government's four-year term. All being well, during the week of December 6th, the Bundestag will swear in Olaf Scholz, the SPD's candidate, as the ninth Chancellor of Germany's Federal Republic, and Angela Merkel will retire after 16 years in charge. Order, order. Britain's budget. Rishi Sunak, Britain's finance minister and a self-proclaimed fiscal conservative, is trying to avoid an economic legacy dominated by the biggest borrowing spree in modern memory. On Wednesday, as he unveils details of his budget and departmental spending over the next three years, orderly public finances will be at the top of his agenda. He will probably announce new fiscal rules, requiring debt to start falling as a share of GDP by 2024 or 2025. He will also dish out some goodies, including investments to improve transport links outside of London and a £6 billion, $8.3 billion bung for the NHS, Britain's health service, which gobbles up an ever-increasing share of public spending. But unprotected areas such as prisons, local authorities and higher education could face a squeeze. Still, that would leave public spending as a proportion of GDP 2% higher than when Mr Sunak became Chancellor. Not quite the legacy he would like. Idling. India's car industry. India's leading car maker, Maruti Suzuki, releases its results on Wednesday. Its outlook is far from rosy. Sales dropped by 57% in September compared with a year earlier. Global semiconductor shortages have caused production delays. Fuel prices are at a record high. Overall sales of passenger cars in India fell by 41% between September 2020 and 2021. As production costs for cars have risen, so have their prices. This Diwali, don't expect many discounts. Normally, the festive season is chock full of deals and accounts for around 30% of annual car sales. Companies complain that the top rate of India's goods and services tax at 
is among the highest in the world. That deters buyers, many of whom have seen their salaries cut since last year. It will be some time before the sector, which accounts for roughly 7% of GDP and almost half of the total manufacturing output, starts revving again. Violence and brutality normalised. Bulletproof. Bulletproof, a documentary about the normalisation of shootings in American schools, is released on Friday. The timing is chilling. On October 20th, Nicholas Cruz, the man responsible for the deadliest high school shooting in American history at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida in February 2018, pleaded guilty to all charges brought against him. Such shootings have led to a new type of American education, active shooter response training. The documentary pans from traditional school routines to new rituals in the day-to-day life of pupils, lockdown drills, firearm training for teachers and metal detector screenings. It asks whether such measures are effective and who they really benefit. School safety trade shows line the pockets of those given the job of protecting students. Firearms training puts guns in the hands of teachers and ritualising safety drills normalises the violence. But Bulletproof is disturbingly serene, conveying the growing numbness to such brutality. Dressed Up Rent the Runway's IPO Rent the Runway hopes to strut its stuff when it floats in New York on Wednesday. The fashion company, which hires out luxury clothes to subscribers, is aiming for a valuation of as much as $1.5 billion. It's a lofty goal for a firm still rebounding from a COVID-induced dip. Homebound consumers saw little need to dress up during lockdown and Rent the Runway's active subscriber count tumbled from over 130,000 at the end of 2019 to fewer than 55,000 a year later. Things are picking up. The active subscriber base edged close to 100,000 by the end of July. But the company's valuation relies on doled-up accounting. Rent the Runway excludes product depreciation from its profit calculation. By that tailor-made metric, it is profitable. Yet replacing distressed dresses and battered bags is a core cost. Fancy accounting will not hide a net loss of $171 million last year. Bottom of the rabbit hole. The Economist's NFT auction. The Economist's first non-fungible token sold for 99.9 Ether, $419,000, in an auction to raise money for the Economist Education Foundation, an independent charity that teaches young people to analyse current affairs. As well as raising money for the cause, we felt that minting and selling the NFT based on the cover illustration of our recent story about decentralised finance, would educate us and our readers about the potential and pitfalls of NFTs. The winning bidder now owns a record on the Ethereum blockchain that gives him or her the right to use, publicly display, copy and resell the NFT. But The Economist still owns the copyright and will retain a 10% royalty stake on future sales, with all proceeds going to the charity. This raises one of the fundamental questions of NFTs, 
What is the point of them? Unlike with a physical artwork, anyone can still download and enjoy, quote, down the rabbit hole. But art has always been about claims of ownership and authenticity. It seems that for one keen crypto bidder, that is worth the price. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Theodore Roosevelt, who was born on this day in 1858. The only man who makes no mistakes is the man who never does anything. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 